Hi, and welcome to Your Own Podcast. I'm Dr. Melanie Barham, coordinator for the Ontario Animal Health Network, and we're joined today by, Dr. by Curtis Russell, who is a PhD in biology um, and also a senior program specialist within Public Health Ontario. And he's going to be talking to us about tick-borne disease as part of our Lyme disease series. Welcome, Curtis. Hi, thank you for having me. Yeah. Um, so, Curtis, can you start off by explaining the difference between Public Health Ontario, uh, Ministry of Health and Long-Term Care, PHAC, and where public health units and physicians fit into this part? Because I know that is um, there's an awful lot of uh, there's a lot of health agencies, so I want to make sure we're we know where we're talking about. Right. So that's uh, quite a mix of ones, and we all kind of work together for different aspects. So. PHAC, or the Public Health Agency of Canada, they're at the federal level, and they have the National Microbiology Lab, and those are the ones where they can actually test the ticks for the different pathogens. Within Ontario, on the you know provincial level, there's the Ministry of Health and Long-Term Care and us, Public Health Ontario. So the Ministry of Health and Long-Term Care is a bit more um, programming and policy. They were a funding body. They're responsible for public education. Well, us at Public Health Ontario or PHO, we're more of the science and technical. So we're more of the science, you know, what does the science say? What drives it? And, you know, we do a lot of work with the public health units. You know, so, you know, for example, you know, what kind of mosquito trap should you use for tick surveillance? What kind of tick surveillance should you use? What's the literature say? What's the science say about different things? So we work with them. And then same thing, too, uh, for PHO, we also do the physician education. So we'll do CMEs or continuing education credits. You know, we'll do different webinars with physicians to educate them about Lyme disease. You know, where is it? What are the signs and symptoms? The diagnostics, the laboratory testing, we work with them on that scope as well. Okay, and so CE for some CE Public Health um, Ontario will do that part. Yes, we've um, even done some things where we've coordinated with the Ontario Health Association and did a big giant mm -hmm. CE webinar for all the hospitals to teach them about Lyme disease. Oh, cool. Okay, great. Um, and what's, so what is your role within uh, Public Health Ontario? So within Public Health Ontario, we have an enteric zoonotic and vector-borne diseases unit, and I sit in that looking after the vector-borne diseases. So my role is anything vector-borne, so again, West Nile, Lyme disease, mosquitoes, ticks. Again, my main role is working with the health units to educate them so that their programs are up to, you know, scientific standards, and you'll help them with their surveillance programs, what they should be doing, where they should be looking for things, and, you know, training them how to do that. So, for example, I do actually bi-weekly or, sorry, bi-yearly training for the health units, teach them how to actually drag or go out and look for ticks, help them with their mosquito surveillance, and, you know, if they just have any general questions, same thing, too, if they have a person doing a case investigation trying to identify a case, I can help them with that as well. Okay, great. Um, so on that note, as far as ticks, um, can you give us some background on the different ticks that have been found in Ontario to date, uh, which ones carry disease and which ones don't, and then maybe just a bit about their life cycle uh, between ticks? Um, so in Ontario, we actually have a passive tick submission system, so if someone finds a tick on a person, it has to be on a person, but if they find them, they actually can submit it to Public Health Ontario where we'll identify it, and if it's a black-legged tick, it then goes to the National Microbiology Lab for testing. So based on the data we get, we do get different numbers of ticks, but of the ticks we get, the vast majority, almost you know over 90% of them, are either the black-legged tick or the American dog tick. We do get some other ones such as, you know, the groundhog tick or the rabbit tick or squirrel tick, but because um, those kinds of ticks primarily feed on those rodents and are usually downs in their burrows or where they are, even though they're, those ticks are quite plentiful, we don't see a lot of them coming from the human submissions just because they don't come in contact with each other. There's okay. another species called the Lone Star tick. It's more of a southern U.S. tick, but we do see it brought in once in a while. We call it an adventitious tick. So it's not here, but it's again being brought in by travelers or birds and that, but the main two that we predominantly see are the black-legged tick and the American dog tick. And then those two, with those two, we see them in different parts of the province. 
based on their different habitats. So broad paintbrush, the black-legged ticks, they like um, white-footed mice, which like forests. The black-legged ticks like forests because they need that leaf litter to survive. So they're prom predominantly in um, deciduous, mixed deciduous wooded habitats. Well, American dog ticks are usually more in a field type structure. So if you were looking, you would see more black-legged ticks more eastern Ontario than the different forested pockets of southwestern Ontario. And the dog ticks you see more in the agricultural aspects. Okay. Okay. Um, and as far as uh, carrying Lyme disease and their life cycle, that kind of stuff? Right. So for tick pathogens, you know, the two ticks we have, those two main ticks are the ones we worry about. Um, the American dog ticks, you know, most people suspect them for carrying maybe Rocky Mountain spotted fever. We haven't really mm -hmm. seen that here yet. So, you know, we're keeping an eye on the states that border us to see, but we haven't really seen a push from them either yet. But that tick has that potential. Um, the one main that we worry about is the black-legged tick because it is the, pretty much the only tick that can transmit Lyme disease in Ontario, and it is associated with carrying some other pathogens such as, you know, anaplasma, babesia. It does have other things it can transmit. As for those other pathogens, we do monitor them. They do get tested at the national lab, but however, they're at extremely low levels, like usually less than 1%. So, But Lyme disease is the big one we worry about, and depending where you are in the province, you know, you can have quite some high levels in the ticks. So anaplasma and babesia have been found in black-legged ticks in Ontario, is that right? Yes. Or, but it's mm -hmm. at very, very low low frequencies. Yes, so they're at very low levels, levels, so, you know, there's always that potential. You know, we can always have, a, you know, there's potential for a person to have it or okay. for an animal to have it. It's just, you know, the, the probability, you know, when you're, like, around 1% of your ticks have it, so it's quite a low number, you know, and we're okay. keeping an eye on that to see if it's expanding in other areas or where it's going. And are there clinical cases of those diseases in, in Ontario, like as far as anaplasma and babesia in people? Well, the one thing is a lot of those diseases are they're not reportable. Okay. So we, we can, you know, they can be tested for in that. And, we, you know, if we do get one, we would definitely investigate it. But so far, we haven't seen any real evidence of that. We do have another disease in Ontario called Powassan. It was discovered in Powassan, Ontario back in the 50s. So we usually see that, you know, at very, very low levels. I think we've had only like one case in the last five or six years, but it's something that we're kind of noticing. There's another something called deer tick virus. It's okay. very similar to Powassan, and it's found in the black-legged tick, which is also called the deer tick. And the U.S. has seen a bit more of expansion of that, so we're also working with the national lab, trying to keep an eye on that one as well. But so far, the numbers have been extremely low. Okay, gotcha. And Powassan is in the black-legged tick as well, exclusively? Yes. Okay. Um, can be found in some of the other ticks, but what we're looking more is because the other ticks don't really bite humans as much. It's more the black-legged tick and this deer tick virus. Right. Okay. Man, that black-legged tick, it's a real, like, cesspool of disease. <laughs> yes, it carries many different pathogens, but I guess for public messaging, the one thing is it's one, relatively speaking, it's one kind of tick we're worried about. So if you can prevent that one tick from biting you, you can prevent a lot of different things. A lot. Yeah, that's handy, isn't it? Yes. Um, okay, perfect. And sorry, we were going to cover their life cycle as well and the differences between the the, the, the ticks as far as their life cycle. Yes. Yeah, so um, quick overview because it gets a little bit complicated, but black-legged ticks, if you know, they were under perfect ideal habitat settings, they would actually live for about two years. So which for, you know, arthropods is quite long. Like, you know, mosquito under ideal conditions in a lab can maybe live 90 days. But black-legged ticks, if they get, you know, they get their host when they're ready and the temperatures are all great, it takes them about two years to get through their full life cycle. However, up here in Ontario, we're at the northern extent of their range. If, you know, they don't get a blood meal that one season, they can actually go dormant and wait for the next year. And so it could actually take them three to five years to get through their life cycle. Wow. 
So with that, we can get a little bit of overlap, but the general feel over two years, what would happen is the eggs are laid in the spring, the female lays her eggs, she dies, the eggs then hatch out into larvae. The larvae go through kind of the summer months, feeding usually on small mammals or um, birds or other things. You know, they have preferences, but they're opportunistic. You know, they're just waiting for something to go by. So whatever they can grab on, they'll feed on. But usually they're on small mammals and birds. They'll feed on that. They'll fall off. They'll go down into the leaf litter and they'll molt into a nymph, the nymph stage. The nymph will come up the next spring and look for another host. It'll feed on that host, which again could be humans, small mammals, migratory birds. They'll feed on that fall off, molt into the adult. The adults are then out in the fall months, and usually they're looking for a host for their last bit of eggs, and usually the males and females are looking for a place to mate, so usually they find each other on a deer, hence why they're sometimes called the deer, because usually you find adult ticks on the deer. Our little joke is usually yeah, that's where the males and females mate, so the deer is kind of like the local bar. Mm-hmm. So after the, after, the, after the female feeds on that deer, she goes off, goes dormant, and the leaf litter again comes out in the spring, lays her eggs. Where Lyme gets into that, it gets really tricky, is that even if the female has the bacteria in her, when she lays her eggs, she doesn't transmit it to her offspring. Which is good because the larvae are extremely small. So when the larvae come out, they don't have it. So for them to get it, they have to feed on an infected rodent. Well, for that infected rodent to get it, it had to be bit the year before by an infected nymph or adult. So it's kind of that, that chicken and the egg kind of thing. So, you know, it has to be a quite an ideal setting for everything to happen. So what we see in Ontario in places where the ticks are newly populated, where they're newly becoming established, we usually see the ticks there, but maybe not the bacteria right away, but the bacteria will eventually get into the population. Okay, gotcha. So as far as, I guess the next question is sort of related to your your surveillance with Lyme disease. So what areas do we know that ticks carrying Lyme disease to be found in in Ontario as far as, um, you know, up to date in this in this province? So one thing I would advise if you're looking for where we know these ticks are occurring is if you go to Public Health Ontario, publichealthontario.ca, our website, and you go into our Lyme disease page, we actually have um, estimated risk maps yep. showing where the ticks can occur. The one big thing to note with that is these ticks, like I said, they um, they feed on migratory birds as well. So a lot of these bird, these ticks, you know, when the migratory birds are coming through those New England states or Minnesota, Wisconsin, they pick up large numbers of ticks and large numbers of birds come through Ontario. So while low, it is probable that someone could come in contact with an infected tick almost anywhere in the province. However, our big problem areas are along the north shores of Lake Erie, Lake Ontario, the St. Lawrence, and there's a small pocket over in northwestern Ontario in the Rainy River area. Okay. okay. And again, that's basically based on habitat, right? So, you know, along the St. Lawrence River, very deciduous, mixed habitat, very good. And then in southwestern Ontario, it's more pockets, it's more the conservation provincial habitats where they haven't turned it into agriculture yet. So along the north shores of Lake Erie, it's usually in like Long Point, Rondo, Turkey Point, Long Point, Wainfleet Bog, uh, Point, um, those different areas where we know, you know, there's forested habitat and there's migratory birds bringing the ticks in. That okay. being said, we are seeing the ticks, you know, expand outside of those habitats. Okay. Um, and so on the same vein, like as far as uh, human infections, are do those areas match up closely with where you found human infections? Correct. You know, again, we do get human cases across the province, but if we look at the vast majority of where most of our human cases are occurring, they're occurring in those areas where those ticks are because you have to get bit by an infected tick to pick it up. So we see large populations and higher infection rates of these ticks in eastern Ontario, and that's where we do see a lot of our cases. Okay. So, you know, the um, yeah, Leeds, Grenville, Kingston area. 
Okay. Yeah, I sort of wondered how you sorted that out with tra- with travel history, because obviously as people we probably travel a lot more than wild animals do. So. Right. So um, for any disease that we do in Ontario, is, um, a lot of them are lab-based. We also need to do physician information as well. But if someone physician gets a lab test, it goes through a lab system, and then the local health units are notified of that result. Those health units for almost all of our diseases, they then do a case investigation. They have case investigators, which should be, you know, a certified public health inspector. It could be a registered nurse, people trained to do case investigation. And then they follow up with the physicians and the patients saying, you know, what did you have? What are your signs and symptoms? Where did you go? And they try to get all that travel history. And we have a system called APHIS, which is our disease tracking system. And they enter that all in. So when we try to look at the data, we can try to look at those people's travel history and see, okay, we have this many that were local, this many that went to New York State, this many that went here. And so, you know, we don't always have everybody's information, but, you know, we do have most of it. And again, you know, for surveillance, you know, it's more just to get the general trends of where things are occurring and where they're going versus every individual case. Okay, great. Um and so uh, how does PHO work with the health units to educate and monitor tick-borne disease? And you mentioned some drags that they are, that you guys educate the health units how to do and science-based training and that kind of thing. So what are the big campaigns that you guys are working on currently? So the big thing with us at Public Health, again, we're more of a science technical base, and our partners are more to work with to educate the physicians and the health units. So some of the big things we do with the health units is the local training. You know, we will actually go out and show them how to tick drag you. This is the habitat. This is where you should go. This isn't when you should go. We actually have standard operating procedure guidelines that we can give to them to show those things. So we actually train them on that, and then we, you know, we always have discussions with them about what's lab testing, what does it mean. We have all our colleagues, our microbiologists up at the lab that tell them, you know, what the different interpretations of the labs mean. You know, so when they can do their case investigations, you know, those big things, you know, you need that travel history. We need to know where those people are occurring so we can then track those trends. And then we just, you know, we have very good relationships with most of our health units, you know, conversations, just antidotal conversations. They can call us at any time if they have questions. But big things, too, on our line website, you know, we have technical guides, we have operating procedures, we have videos showing them how to do their different aspects related to Lyme disease. And that same thing, too, when we talk about uh, public submissions of the ticks, if someone has a tick on them, they can either go to their physician or they can actually go to the health unit and the health unit can submit the ticks, too. So they get that information as well. Okay, great. Um, and then, so are all are all public health units in Ontario doing tick dragging? Not all of them. It's, um, we have a document that kind of categorizes them to different levels. Um, mm-hmm. So the ones in eastern Ontario, so the main ones like along Kingston, Leeds, those ones, they don't really take any tick submissions anymore because we know the ticks are there. So they're doing a lot more active dragging, trying to look in those other areas and keep an idea for the monitoring for the rates, what's in the ticks and what the levels are changing. And then the other health units, a lot of it's based on our passive surveillance. So the ticks that are, you know, submitted from the public, we look at that tick data, we look at human data, we look at, you know, other information coming in and say, okay, is these, are we seeing new areas or hotspots we should go check? And then we actually go out and we'll drag those to determine if it's a new risk area. Okay, neat. Um, okay, perfect. So as far as um, I know you're mainly focused on the human side, but what do you think that veterinarians should know about tick-borne disease from the human perspective? Yes, yeah, so I know, you know, from my reading the literature, most dogs that, you know, if they are infected with Lyme disease, about, I think 90% of them will be asymptomatic. So I think the big thing for the patients, you know, especially if they're in those eastern Ontario areas or in those risk areas, just to let them know that exposure can occur, and basically for dog owners, because, you know, they're a bit more, usually more active in walking their pets, you know, where they can go. And then the same thing too, well, the risk is extremely low because dogs are very good at picking up ticks. You know, if you're bringing a dog with ticks on them, 
back into their home. Usually once yeah. a tick's attached, it's not really going to detach. It's locked in. But hypothetically, if the tick wasn't attached and you're sleeping with that dog in your bed and it falls off the dog, you'll, it could bite you. So a very minimal risk, but it's more just to educate, you know, those clients that, hey, you're in risk areas, just mm-hmm. keep a good eye out, practice, you know, protection for your dog and for yourself. And that's a big thing we really need to stress with Lyme is if you don't get bit by a tick, you can really reduce your chances. So, you know, if you are walking your dog road, if you stay in the middle of the trail and don't go off into the brushy wooded areas, you're in really good things. Put on DEET. Bug spray does prevent them from, they don't like it. You know, wear long sleeve clothing. So if they do get on you, they have to crawl a lot farther before they can get into your skin. And the other big thing is doing tick checks for your dog or for yourself after you come out of that environment. If you can get the ticks off, you know, you can really reduce the chances of them passing the infection if they are infected. So, you know, dry your clothes for an hour, kill the heat, kills off the ticks, go home, have a shower. You know, that way if there's any ticks on you and they haven't attached, you can wash them off. Um, kind of, we kind of joke about this, but we call it, they call it the buddy system. You know, have someone check those spots you can't check right. for ticks. So I'll let you determine who you want to be a buddy to check. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Sounds great. So if you had a patient, if you had a, if you were a veterinarian and you diagnosed Lyme disease in a pet, would you, rec- as a veterinarian, do you think it would be prudent to recommend um, testing for the human or not? Another question, I'm not sure, but I think the main things we tell people is if, did you have a tick on you? Was it attached more than 24 hours? And how, where were you? And how were you feeling? So, you know, if you're you're walking down the middle of the trail and you never you know, never contact in the brush, but your dog has it, it might be very different than if you were in those environments and you don't feel well. But if you're in areas where these ticks are occurring and you don't feel well or you get that classic, you know, EM rash, you know, it's very important that you do see your physician and let them know of what your exposure history was. Okay. Okay. All right. Is there anything else you'd like to add uh, before we conclude? Uh, no, thank you for the opportunity. I think the big thing is, you know, the ticks are here. They're in most parts of the province, mainly in the southern portions, and just personal protection is a big thing. And if you do have a tick on you or you're concerned, go see your physician. Thanks a lot. No problem. Take care.